0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to
1: oneandall.media. One time I was at a megachurch pastor's conference in the early days, and we were all having roundtable discussions about issues of what's going on in our churches. We seem to be getting a lot of people, but not very many disciples. And finally, I dared to speak what everybody knew, that the church has become a mile wide and an inch deep. Is it that we don't need prayer, folks? I mean, are we so self-sufficient we don't really need God? Is society so good that there's no need to pray? Today. Today. Today.
0: Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to the program. Now, the Bible's very clear about the importance of prioritizing prayer. Jesus demanded it when he emptied the temple of all merchants and customers, and in the history of the church, fervent prayer has preceded revivals and the growth of Jesus' church. Let's join Pastor Jeff as he finishes today's message, and you can catch the first part of this message wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds. Here's Pastor Jeff.
1: In Acts chapter 2, what were they doing? They were praying and waiting on God. They were praying and hoping and waiting, and Pentecost came. Now, preaching followed for an explanation of the gospel, but the church is born while people are praying. And the reason is Jesus said, My house will be called a house of prayer. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and the disciples are beaten up. They're persecuted because they're preaching the name of Jesus. Now, what did they do after they were beaten up and tortured? Did they go out and protest? Did they take the matter to the Supreme Court? Did they try to get some political leverage? No. They go back to a prayer meeting and they say, God, give us courage to to speak the gospel in the face of death. Give us a boldness in spite of the threats that we're receiving so that it appears that God's intentions for us are this. When in trouble, pray. When intimidated, pray. When challenged, pray. When sick, pray. When... Diagnosed with a terminal illness, pray. When persecuted, pray. When anxious, pray. When afraid, pray. Pray. And there's something special about our prayers according to scripture. I had been in Africa for 10 years and now I was living in New Zealand. My mom passed away. While I was living in New Zealand and on one trip I came back, this probably was six or seven years after my mom had died, and my father said, look, I want to show you something. I've been meaning to do this for a long time. So he took me back in the back bedroom, and he opened up this chest, and in that chest was another box, and it had my name on it, and he took out that box, and my mother had kept every report card I had ever had in my life, and every basketball clipping from the time I was five to the time I graduated college, she had kept all those clippings, and my father said on days she would miss you when you were in Africa, she would go and get that box, and she would look at the report cards, and she would just go through those clippings, and she would cry, but she would also have joy. There was a time of remembering something that had happened in the past, and somehow it drew her closer to you. Now, I use that example because the same thing evidently happens with us, our prayers, and God. And as I was doing the series on the book of Revelation about eight years ago, I came across Revelation 5.8 that says this. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And you start thinking, what must prayer be to God that he keeps it in bowls? That he goes to God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and says, hey, read another one. Get those prayers out and let's read them. Let's remember a time when Jeff Bynes was praying, when he had hope when he had trust in the Father, because he hasn't talked to me in a while. Get one of those out. Read the name, read the prayer, so that when you and I stand or we kneel before God in prayer and we talk to God and we really open our hearts, somehow these are kept in heaven and they are precious to God. Okay, Jeff, we got it. What's your point? My point is, what if God wants to heal? What if God wants to cure our depression and anxiety and in eternal frustrations. What if he really wants to heal our city? What if he wants to restore our families? What if he wants to bring our children back to us? What if he wants to heal our marriages? But he's waiting. Waiting for what? For his house to become a house of prayer. That's what he's waiting. Beyond token prayers, not just token prayers, but prayers that are motivated by a burden of the heart. Real, authentic, passion-filled, spirit-filled prayers. What if that's what he's waiting on? First time I went to Rwanda, my translator, Anastas Sabamunga. It was the first time now. I'm going to go back years after this, but the first time, i got to tell you, I was very nervous. I'm thinking, I'm out of my element here. He's taking me into this prison where people are responsible for orchestrating the genocide of killing over a million people in Rwanda. And I'm supposed to go in and preach the gospel to these murderers. And then the first time I went, they put me in a prison that held 5,000 women. I was the only guy in there. Listen, 5,000 nice women are intimidating. These are, these are people who have used machetes. And Anastas looked at me and he could tell, this is our first relationship, you know, he could tell I was a little nervous. And I love what he did. He stood as if he was in a defensive position playing basketball. He bent his knees and he looked at me and he said, Pastor Jeff, I know you're nervous. It's okay. Just give me whatever you got. I'll clean it up through the translation." He said, I can't, do, I can't work with nothing, but if you'll just give me something, I'll make sure it has power. And you know what the Bible says? That's exactly what Jesus does for you. You don't have to, you don't have to be good at prayer. You just got to give him something to work with. And the Bible says, if you give it to him, Jesus will take it, translate it, and make it appear much better than it is because he's on your side. You say, where does it say that? Romans 8, 26. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So somehow He communicates to the Father in a way that you and I can't, but He has to have something to work with. You gotta give Him something. And then Jesus says, Look, those people are praying to you for the city, for their children, for their marriages. They're praying to see you in a way they've never seen you before. And then, according to Scripture, and we find this later out, and this is a This is kind of like the harmony of the Gospels and the Pauline epistles. We learn that when you pray like that, then God says, okay, that's it. Deploy Michael and the archangel. And then you're saying, what? Paul is clear. In Ephesians 6, he says, their struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. See, our mistake is we think our real battle is with our husband or wife or children or community or with Washington. That's not where the real battle is. The real battle is in the heavenly realms. In other words, what Jesus is saying to you and me is you're not strong enough to do this. You need supernatural intervention. And you get supernatural intervention when you start to pray. Because you real enemy. Principalities, powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age. And Jesus said that's why people who are humble and really realize what they're up against... There will be those who will just go through life thinking that's as good as it gets. Then there will be those few, those called, those chosen ones that will remember that he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. There's a spiritual battle going on. And if his house becomes a house of prayer, he will release his power into our lives and things will happen that we've not seen before, done before, or felt before. And it didn't start just in the New Testament. It's all the way back in 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Folks, listen. Don't you want more? I mean, aren't you kind of bored with, in, in some ways, with the whole church thing? It's okay to be honest. You're in church. That's the way to go. Don't you kind of get in a rut sometimes? Okay, we have this song, then this song, then Jeff speaks, and then we have this. Isn't there something that is missing? And do you know where you... Let me tell I'm just being very honest. I'm glad you're here. Don't stop coming. I'm glad you're here. But do you know where you're going to find it, what you're looking for? is on the Monday night prayer meeting that happens yeah. once a month, the first Monday night. And many of you have never been there, and that's why you're feeling the way that you do. And you can't deny it, but yet you can't explain it. God shows up. And I wonder if it's because on that night, his house has become a house of prayer. Is there something about when you become a house of prayer, God is just motivated to show up? Not everybody gets healed, but there have been some people healed. Not everybody gets exactly what they want, but God moves and releases his divine energy into their lives. And it's not like this is kind of a shocker. This is the history of the early church. The church has had good, bad, and ugly times. There's no doubt about it. But it's also had times of revival, strength, growth, and power. And every time, if you study early church history, every time that happened, it was always, without fail, preceded by prayer somebody, somewhere started to pray. Moody goes to England. and What happens? They started to pray. Charles Finney goes to upstate New York. What happened? They started to pray. The Great Awakening came from Europe to the Americas. What happened? People started to pray. Did they preach? Yes. Did they sing? Yes. But the identified mark was prayer. Prayer preceded it. Prayer kept it going. And the minute prayer ended, the spirit of God lifted and the church got back to their old way of arguing about church music and politics and legalism and, and the color of the paint on the wall and church business. And it became possessed with program rather than prayer. When I was in Savannah, Georgia, I started an expository Wednesday night. That meant I went through the Bible verse by verse. It grew to 800 people. I tried to do the same with a prayer meeting. The most we ever got, 15. Why? One time I was at a mega church pastor's conference in the early days, and we were all having roundtable discussions about issues of what's going on in our churches. We seem to be getting a lot of people, but not very many disciples. And finally, I dared to speak what everybody knew, that the church has become a mile wide and an inch deep. Is it that we don't need prayer, folks? I mean, are we so self-sufficient we don't really need God? Is society so good that there's no need to pray? We don't have any worries or concerns or anxieties. We don't need to pray for our children or pray for our health or pray for our marriages or or pray for one another. Are we so strong against the power of the devil we really can take care of business ourselves? You would think, and I'm saying we would think. I'm not judging you, I'm judging us. I mean, I'm the leaders, right? So wherever we are, we're here because a lot has to do with where I've taken you in our ministry. Now, I know that it's God's church, it's not mine, and he's the ultimate leader. I got that. But I would assume that there's an expectation on my life and yours. And you would think that I would go to the scripture and I would read where it says, ask and you will receive and knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find, call on the name of the Lord. You will be heard. You have not because you ask not. You think Christ followers would read those and say, man, I got to start praying because evidently there's so much available for me that I don't have because this is not a house of prayer.'" Hebrews 4, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. I don't know about you, but I need all the mercy and the grace I can get. God is so into his children praying that sometimes he'll do whatever it takes to get you on your knees. You know that, right? God will bring you to your knees so that he can get you on your knees. Otherwise, he knows you're not ever going to pray motivated by a burden of the heart unless the rug is pulled out from under you and you've got nowhere else to go. Because the reason God wants you to pray is not so that you can change his mind about something, so he can change yours about something. The way that you look at life and your recognition of where the real power For your hope and your future really lies. It's where your eyes are open to the habits that are killing you and where your eyes are open to the habits that should be in your life that will bring you life. And when the church begins to pray, people began to repent. I mean, this is the thing. When you come to pray and you become the house of prayer, when you become a house that is known mainly for prayer, you know what happens? one of the first things that happens is purity. People stop sleeping with each other that aren't supposed to be. People get rid of the habits that they know shouldn't be in their lives. Things like pornography become defeated. Now you say, why? Because you cannot spend time with someone without their way of life affecting yours. And the more time you spend with God, the more you become like him. But if you spend no time with God, then you're influenced by everybody else around you and you just go the way of everybody else, which means you'll never experience the supernatural. Something happening in your life that just opens your eyes to the potential that you have in Christ. Don't you want something more? Come on! Don't you want to come to this place with expectation where you move past singing into worshiping? Now, you know there's a difference. Singing is when you just look at the words and you sing them and you got your hand. Worshiping is when you enter into the presence of God, but I can't make you do that. It's something you have to decide on your own that you're going to do. And if you tell me, Pastor Jeff, I just don't feel anything at church, it's not God's fault. You've got to come in with the attitude that you're going to worship God. And you're going to thank God for all the things you do have and bring before him the concerns of your heart. When this becomes a house of prayer, revival will come. Sinners will turn their hearts toward home. People will begin to repent. Sexual immorality will be purged. Marriages will be restored. Children will be brought back home and God will forever be praised. A few years ago, Ron Hall and I were talking, and I said, Ron, I'm just concerned about how do we do this? How do we start a prayer meeting? And Ron was brilliant. I'm I'm sure that as God was talking to me, God was talking to him, and he said, man, you need people to start a prayer meeting. You need people who are desperate. And I got about 200 of them in Celebrate Recovery. And we started that Monday night prayer meeting, and it's grown to jam-packed capacity. And anybody who attends it will tell you that's their favorite service of the month. It's different. Jeff doesn't preach. (laughs) They love it. Oh, he'll sometimes give a devotion up front, and sometimes he does talk too much. But he only does that when he's trying to motivate us. But it's mostly worship and prayer, and we pray for people, and they come up to the front, and the elders are here, and people get prayed to be healed. And then sometimes we'll be praying for somebody to be healed, and then their their whole life group will come up and surround them. And I just step over to the side and let the church be the church. Almost every time we meet together, somebody out of the audience walks up to receive Christ, salvation. See, I'm telling you, the real church service happens on the first Monday night of every month. Now, you said, is this not church? Yes, it's church, but we're constricted somewhat, aren't we? And we're restricted because we've got a certain amount of time to get you in and get you out. So this is still important, what we do, the teaching of the word, but you can make it so different by the attitude with which you come into this place because you can pray the whole time you're here. When my sermons get boring, just use it as a time to pray. <laughs> if, if you're not tracking with Pastor Jeff, I'm okay with that. I'm going to pray because he's just not doing it for me. <laughs> then at least you're getting something out of it. you know James 5.16 is a verse that I've had in my mind for ages. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But the King James Version, which in this case I happen to like because it puts the modifier in the right place, says the strong, powerful prayer of a righteous person is effective. Strong identifies powerful. So we're talking about a prayer that you pray to God that is motivated by a deep burden of your heart. And it must be prayed by a righteous person. But remember, there are two ways to be righteous. Keep the law perfectly Or you're saved by grace because Jesus died for you, so you don't have to be perfect to pray a powerful prayer. You just got to be willing to pray a powerful prayer, and then the response is effective, which is the Greek word energes, like our word energy. That means releases the divine energy of God every time you pray. Jesus said, "My house shall be called a house of prayer." And I want you to know that when you start praying. Oh man, there's so many things, there's so many, there's a huge cost to not praying and there's a huge cost to the church for not becoming a house of prayer. You should never start a meeting of any kind without first going to the Father. And if you do somehow manage to get that into your life, the first dividend of that investment is the thing we all want the most, peace. Just an overriding peace. And that's why Jesus in the middle of a storm that had killed hundreds of fishermen on the sea every year and the disciples are right in the middle of it thinking they're going to die, that Jesus is down below deck sleeping. Sleeping. Because he's at total peace. And given the fact that 21 million people in the world are on Prozac, I would think that peace is something that we want. My favorite historical reference Concerns a man in early church history by the name of Peter Miosius. Okay, so they're they're killing Christians because they will not recant that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And so this is the this is basically the first edition of waterboarding. They're holding the Christians by their feet and they're putting their head under water and waiting to just the right moment, just before death, pulling them back up again. And then giving them chance after chance, hey, if you'll just recant, if you'll just tell us that Jesus is not the Christ, the Son of the living God, we'll let you live. And they just keep doing that until they think you've given up. Well, this dude, Peter Miosius, they pulled him up like the eighth time, and this is what he said to them. Please stop interrupting me. Lower me again in the midst of the peace and quietness of the frogs and the toads where I can speak with my Lord in private. You know what he's saying? You know what he's saying, don't you? I don't want to hang out with you guys. Put me back down there, and if I die, I die. At least I am with the Lord. Prayer is the key to everything. Everything that's happened in our church, let me use my East Tennessee grammar again, it ain't us. It has nothing to do with us other than being willing to pray and God responding and the older I get, the more peaceful that is because I know it doesn't depend on me. It's God. And I hope this will become a house of prayer. I don't know what that looks like other than what we're doing now. You might need to pray for me because the next 14 to 21 days, I'm going to go before the throne and I'm going to ask God, God, what does that look like? What do you want me to change? That we can be known as a house of prayer, that when the windows and doors are open, there is a aroma of prayer. Just show me the way. And I challenge you, and from now on, draw a line and never go back the other way. When you come in here, you forget about everything out there, and you focus for one hour and 10 minutes on God, and you pray, and you worship, and you don't worry about the song that you don't know. If you don't know the song, pray. If you don't like the sermon, pray. If communion didn't touch you, pray. Anybody can pray. And that's when this place becomes a house of prayer. Father, I thank you and I praise you for uh, the beauty of your word, this passage that continues to just penetrate the heart of every believer, that this house is a house of prayer. Father, I pray for our online campus that is growing by the day, that all campuses, all of us would be people of prayer, expecting God to move to see things that we wanted to see from the time we first became Christ followers, to feel things we've wanted to feel in so long. And I pray for those prayer warriors that already exist in our church, that they would go double time in their prayers, that revival would come and we would see Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fiennes. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts.